On episode five of this season, I'm talking with the wonderful Carol Copeland-Thomas, a diversity and inclusion expert, all about her membership site, the Multicultural Symposium series. Carol's online membership actually evolved from her long-running annual conference, with the aim of providing somewhere for a year-round conversation and connection around important topics related to becoming a more multicultural and inclusive business, a topic that there is currently more awareness of than ever before. In this episode, then, we're talking about the importance of Carol's work and the impact it's having, how she's able to keep her membership very low cost and affordable because of corporate sponsors, and how she mixes her offline events and online membership, and her monthly webinars that are available free to attend live, but then only available within the membership. Listen in for all this and more. Welcome to Behind the Membership with Callie Willows. Real people, real stories, real memberships. Today, I'm joined on the show by the wonderful Carol Copeland-Thomas from the Multicultural Symposium series. Welcome to the show, Carol. I'm really looking forward to talking to you, and thank you for joining me. I'm really honored to be on your show today, Callie. Thank you so much. I think the world of both you and Mike and what you are doing, and uh, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, we think the the world of you too. I actually have the the picture of you and I from Retain on my little uh, memory board there as well. Uh, Great. (laughs) To get us started, could you tell us a little bit about your membership, the Multicultural Symposium Series, like who it is, um, what it is, who it's for, what you offer, that kind of thing? I've been in the diversity and multicultural space for 33 years. Uh, Started off as a trainer and then uh, evolved into becoming a keynote speaker, but centrally um, operating in that space for a number of years. About 12 years ago, I realized that many of the events and many of our activities in the DNI space uh, around the United States and uh, beyond were typically one-off events where you would have a conference, you would have a symposium. I, I belong to a collegium, which was a like a think tank for some of the leading uh, DNI experts around the country um, and outside of the U.S. So I had been a part of that. That was probably the only continuous concept of DNI work. DNI meaning diversity and inclusion that I was a part of in the United States. Otherwise, they were principally one-off conferences, conversations that were localized and the like. I said, there's got to be a better way, number one, of connecting people and unifying people in this space, in this arena, not just here in the United States, but also elsewhere, because I really look at diversity from a global perspective, and also doing it in a way where there was a continuous conversation. You're never finished with this topic, but a way where people could gather, could converse, could intellectualize, could uh, debate, could agree to disagree in the spirit of multiculturalism. Thus, in 2008, around the spring of 2008, I said, I'm going to start. I actually had thought about this a year before. And then ultimately in 2008, in the spring, I said, I'm going to start the Multicultural Symposium Series, MSS. And the whole purpose was to advance the cause of multiculturalism on the air, face-to-face and uh, online. And um, so that was the premise of it. I gathered together colleagues and people who I knew. I knew that I wanted to start a conference series uh, at that time, conferences here. 
and um, and then uh, it ultimately dropped down to one a year. I had already started my breakfast series that had started um, back in 2000. So that was already going, but I wanted to pull that into this whole concept. And so from there, the Multicultural Symposium Series was born uh, in October of 2008 just at the time when the economy was crashing. <laughs> so I had brought in a, a number of uh, corporate sponsors, and this has always been driven by corporate dollars, I have to say that. And so we launched in October of 2008 with a face-to-face -face conference that had about 200 attendees. Um, then the economy was just going out of control. I then had to change some things, modify some things, had another conference in, in March of 2008, both on the campus of Bentley University, a school that I was connected with. I had taught there part time for a number of years, had very strong relationships there, wanted a, a university affiliate to be a part of MSS. And um, and so they did. So they were a part of our program for a couple of years. And then we shifted over to the University of Massachusetts, Boston campus. We were there for a number of years with our conference. And then the Massachusetts College of Art and Design has been our third um, location in terms of uh, conference relevance and participation. So the conference was the baseline of MSS. And from that <clears throat> would continue these dialogues and discussions and ultimately this member-only platform that finally became crystallized around 2017, 2018. That's the long version of the evolution of MSS. So it really began with that conference, which has, has been going for quite a while now. Yes. And the, the other membership features kind of expanded upon that and made it more of a year-round experience. That's correct. Yes, we uh, have had 13 conferences. The 13th one was held in November of 2019. Uh, and then 20, uh, November of 2020 will be our 14th conference. Because of COVID, it will be a two-day virtual experience. Yes. Awesome. And so the membership side of the business, mm -hmm. what did you add into that to create that more continuous membership element? In 2000, 2007 and 2008, when MSS started, we were at a very different point in terms of technology. I'm sure you probably know that. So the, the concept of a members-only platform was expensive and more complicated. So I created more of a very elementary level membership site with a, a general members only password that was applicable for everybody for the entire site with the platform that I was using. And so it, it, it served the purpose. Okay, was fine. I always wanted to do more. I wanted to really have more of a dedicated members only website. And so finally, around 2017, 2018, I was able to do that. <clears throat> um, I use a Weebly platform, so I'm not a WordPress person. Um, I, and, and so I have other websites for my business purposes. So I, I contained it within the confines of that website. It, it's functioned well. And I don't really have any complaints per se. Obviously, there's some more things I could have done. So, yes, now I have a dedicated website for members 
for the, uh, it's called the MSSGlobalSummit.com. That's the actual web address, but it's, it's a members only website for the Multicultural Symposium Series. A couple of pages are free, uh, including the Join Me page. <laughs> That's obviously free. Um, what I've done now is the, the strength of it tends to be the conference and our monthly webinar series. So we have that. And the way I've con uh, constructed it now is that that webinar is free for anyone to participate with initially. We just had one last week talking about the future of the travel and tourism industry. So we had a number of people who participated live. I have decided now because of COVID, I will um, I'll, I'll provide and allow people to view that web, that uh, um, uh, uh, program, that webinar <clears throat> for the rest of July, and then it will be gated for members. So I'm giving people an extra period of time to watch it. And I've gotten some requests also from folks in the industry <clears throat> who want to see it. So they'll have a chance to view it and watch it. And then it will be the, the uh, web page will be closed off for members only. And then obviously we will have a July program at the end of the month, August, et cetera. These webinars are held at the end of the month. So we've had a number of different topics that we've covered, some with our actual members. Awesome. And so you mentioned there that you're extending how long that webinar is available for for free now. How mm -hmm. long are they normally available for before they go into the membership? Typically, they're just for the people who are on the program itself, on the webinar itself. So okay. they have a chance to the general public can come and be a part of it live. And then it immediately gets gated off to the members only section. OK, awesome. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your typical members so the the topics diversity and inclusion so is it typically companies and corporates that are joining who are, are looking to expand their knowledge for their business teams or is it um small businesses what kind of members are you attracting it's an interesting that's a good question callie and i've, I've looked at that in terms of i struggle always who's my avatar <laughs> who do i go after <clears throat> Typically, it's a business professional. It's someone who is a manager, a leader, an advocate, a community advocate, typically in some kind of leadership or influential role who, need, <clears throat> who needs to gather more information about this topic, needs to be connected to other people within this space so that they can be better influencers, better leaders as a result of it. That's, that is probably my quote avatar. Yes, it includes HR. I have to deal ex um, quite extensively with human resources, <clears throat> but it's not exclusive to them. So I will have executive directors. I will have um, other corporate leaders who will be a part of it. I'll have individuals maybe who have recently retired from a role in a company or an organization who want to stay current or relevant in this topic, and they'll be a part of it. What I'm doing now is because of the uh, series of events that have taken place in the United States, including the execution of George Floyd in Minneapolis, <clears throat> I am specifically targeting CEOs because I feel CEOs have a responsibility and a duty to educate themselves on the topic of diversity and inclusion and multiculturalism so that they can better represent themselves both in their company and out of their company. And so that is my most recent target audience. I'm doing a number of things um, to attract them 
And some of them are now calling me for help because of what's taking place here. So that is, I've sort of graduated to that level. I started off with middle managers, HR uh, individuals, and now just because of the circumstances that we're in, I have to really target the CEOs. Yeah, and I, it definitely seems even here in the UK that this is much more of a prominent topic in people's minds these days as well. So I'd imagine that that obviously whilst you don't necessarily want to capitalize on what's happening at the moment, you're, you've got those resources, you've got that that expertise and that membership there. So so actually the fact that you can reach out to CEOs and you already mm-hmm. have have this information that people are looking for right now is is a great thing, I think. Yeah. And, and there, you know, there are lots of ways to approach it. You're correct, Callie, in saying it's not a I don't want to merchandise what's happening, but <clears throat> I had begun Zoom tutorial programs in April because of the economy and because I thought D&I was going to be somewhat of a dormant topic yeah. at that time. Um, the Zoom tutorials took off. So I'm very busy in that area. And people know that I've been in, in the DNI space for a long time. So when this happened on Memorial Day here in the United States with George Floyd and things started blowing up, then my phone started blowing up. So um, it is an interesting combination of the skill set that I'm using in the technology arena. I've been using Zoom for almost five years. You know, I have the equipment for a number of reasons. I've been doing online coaching for a number of years. So that was a natural space for me to walk into. But then when this happened and what I'm seeing taking place and, and with the phone ringing, people, I'm, I'm in, in de- dealing with inquiries all the time now. It, it, it is also time, I have a duty <laughs> to come into the space and to speak truth. Because there's some things I'm I'm very critical of, um, even in the DNI space, that relate to my members and relate to the botched job that we've done for decades on uh, with this topic. So it uh, the membership site now is more important than ever because of the times that we're living in. And when it comes to the membership and how you're essentially selling that to people, are you selling it on the basis of the membership itself? So in terms of the webinars and community and things like that, or is it still predominantly the conference that people are joining for and the other membership features are essentially a bonus to that? I'm approaching it both ways. Year round, I am identifying and working with sponsors because the the sponsorship revenue source and my uh, training and speaking revenue source are my principal vehicles for revenue in my company. The membership site, I look at long term as building it up to you know well over a thousand plus members i'm at 200 members right now building it up to well over a thousand plus members and that being a principal revenue source Um, and it would provide me with an independent revenue source also so that is the long-term goal that i have with uh, mss global summit so my approach is twofold number one constantly building relationships with 
organizational leaders, corporate members. I'm actually, you know, uh, looking for an answer from one of my potential sponsors that would be returning at a significantly larger level uh, right now. And then some other organizations I'm going after. And with those sponsorship dollars comes X number of memberships. So they would automatically get memberships into MSS. But there is also the individual member who I'm also going after. I typically begin to target them now in the summer, in July, through the November time period, because it leads up to and builds up to my conference. Um, I now have put in place a, um, a yearly annual automatic renewal process. So I have that. I typically, I've tried Cali. I've tried the month to month membership piece. And in my space, it doesn't work. Um, it, it, uh, at least for me, it doesn't work. My, my individual membership amount is rather low. It's only $99 a year. So oh, that's wow. pretty low because again, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in scaling. So I am ultimately interested in a larger volume of individuals who can afford to routinely be a part of my uh, experience. And so that's why I've thought long and hard about pricing and that price uh, rings a bell and it's, it's affordable for many people. I'm glad I have it low because of the economy that we're in. And I'm pretty assured that I will have people who will return even though our economy is in such a precarious state. So my approach has been twofold. It's always been toward the corporate element because I'm, I'm in that space a lot but also for the individual who can, who is interested in this, who, who is committed to this. And I have a number of my members who are in that space and um, the, the, the investment makes sense for them. Awesome. And so a couple of questions on that. The first one is the $99 per year, as you say, that's very low. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, just for the membership? Does that include the conference or is the conference then an additional fee on top of that? It includes the conference. Oh, well. So it, it includes the webinars, uh, online activity that I currently have with the, uh, the membership site, and it includes the conference. And again, I can do that because I'm supplemented by the corporate sponsorship piece. I couldn't do that if it were a standalone, but because I approach it that way, um, it, 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 it works out for me. Right. Um, I have tried higher price points. I've had price points in the $200 range. They tend to be companies that would come in at that level. And um, so I've, I've experimented. And as of last year, landed on the solid $99 rate, even though I've had higher price points. And I think, you know, as you said, it is a low price point, but it makes it a no-brainer price for people that are interested in this topic and who want mm-hmm. to do the work to kind of improve their company and things mm-hmm. where, yeah, if they're not a bigger company, the pricing might be an issue. So actually, I think that's a good strategy because you've got that corporate sponsorship, which a lot of memberships won't have. Right. And actually, I think that's a, a, a great kind of model for you having both of those revenue. Yeah. And, you know, and I really, really, my goal has always been to stretch beyond the U.S. I really want international. I have a couple of people from Canada who are my members <clears throat> and one or two people in other countries, but I really want to expand. And to me, I look at the, I've always seen this as a global marketplace, a global community. And so for that reason, I wanted to keep the price low so that it would not be uh, a hindrance for people in other countries to join. Yeah. And that was actually going to be my other question was, was it an international audience that you have or is it mainly US centric? So Yeah. 
No, it's it's uh, international. I've had international speakers. I've brought speakers in from the UK uh, to my conference, uh, from India to my conference, and um, you know we we certainly use Zoom for various purposes. So I I, I look at this topic internationally. Awesome. So, what would you say has been your biggest challenge with the membership over the years? Then, um, scaling at this point, um, finding enough time to really scale this uh, business and to um, bring people on board who understand its importance. I don't think it's going to be a problem now because of what we're facing. I think now is the time for me to really pounce and what I'm going to do uh, quite aggressively because we have this virtual conference coming up. So I'm going to take advantage of that <clears throat> to, uh, to, to really scale my membership. And um, probably the community forum. I have had, it's like crickets with my community forum where people will participate with the webinar series and they want to be a part of the membership, but I have not had um, much luck with really an active community forum. Now, this is a forum where I'm, I'm paying a service to have this forum housed in my membership site. So it's not a Facebook forum. I do have an MSS um, free group um, that I have, have had for many years. And it, it, it's, it's quiet, pretty quiet, about 150 members or whatever. Um, I, I have a very active Facebook page. So I've you know, well over 5,000 members there. I have a very active LinkedIn page, 7,000 members. So my Facebook and LinkedIn presence probably participate with my uh, image as a diversity professional. And um, so I use those platforms also. But I, I would like to transfer some of that and would like to have a healthy engagement within the membership site and the community forum. That's that's what I would like to work on. Do you think some of that with your engagement in the forum, do you think some of that is purely who your who your members are? So if it is more company CEOs, executives, directors, that maybe that community element they've not necessarily got the time to spend in a community. And actually the fact that they're turning up for the webinars and things is great because that's where they're getting the education. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's not necessarily going to have that hundreds of posts a day kind of community just based on, on the kind of people that are members, I would imagine. I, th I think you're right. I, I, I do just because of, of their, they're very busy people and, <clears throat> but they have a stake in the game. So you're correct that they show up, at times when it's important for them and the webinars are the vehicles of choice that they use. I think that you're right. One thing I have not started yet and um, want to start, again, this is a great time to start, are my online courses. So I think that that will drive more people to the site uh, when I establish those this year. I'm going to do that in the next, uh, let's say, month or two a number of courses um, dealing with unconscious bias, just basic diversity uh, sessions, may have a couple of Zoom sessions in there as well, how to use Zoom for your purposes when you're having your diversity dialogues. So I believe that once those courses get established and you have to be a member in order to participate with them, that will also spill over into more conversation with the community forum. Yes, definitely. And, and again, I'm, I've learned so, so much 
from membership guys and from the academy as a as a member of the academy just the this the, the the plethora of courses that you offer the way that you have them laid out i'm using them as models as i'm setting up my own courses oh great mm-hmm. and so if those are the challenges you've had or what would you say has been the highlight or your favorite thing about having the membership just the membership and and in general when i meet people or see people who will quote me verbatim will say you know i i sat through your training session or i i listened to your webinar and you said so and so or i learned xyz you know i i my heart warms when people who i haven't seen and maybe they're not part of my membership academy um of, of mss but maybe they've been a part of my audience in past years and this has happened to me more than once and five, six, seven, ten years, and they will say, "You said so and so in 1999," <laughs> and I've never forgotten it. You know, this it stuns me that people would have that kind of memory and would have would have that kind of value in the conversations that that I've been a part of. The work that I do is pioneer work. Many times, it's thankless work. I've tried to run away from it, as I've mentioned to you, <laughs> with uh, the, you know, the onslaught of uh, the coronavirus. I said, oh, OK, I'll go off and go into this area now and deal with technology and Zoom. And, and then it, it just comes roaring back to me. So this is the space that I'm supposed to be in, knowing that it's hard and it's difficult. And now is the time for me, in this case, with the CEOs to hold them accountable. And to say, you you need to do this because you said this in these glowing letters that you've put out. But I know what's going on in your company and what you're doing in your company is crap. <laughs> your people tell me that. So, yeah, um, the the membership platform provides more of an in-depth opportunity for people to feel safe about exploring this topic and also looking at ways that they can navigate the tough, choppy waters within their organizations. Yeah. And it, it's one of those topics as well where you almost have to appreciate delayed gratification because you're having a huge impact, but that impact isn't something that's immediately going to be seen or it's, it's not something where somebody gets an immediate result that they can then come and say to you, here's this awesome thing that we've done as a result of thinking. So you're having a huge impact and you're having an impact probably a lot beyond what you see and you know, because obviously if you impact the companies, you're going to impact the employees and have a much wider um, reaction in the, in the world as well. So yeah, you've definitely got that odd topic where there's a huge impact there, but you're, you're not necessarily going to see immediate results or, or get those huge wins from your members, like with a lot of other topics. Exactly. Now that you you very elegantly said exactly what has happened. It is, um, I say pioneer and you say delayed and, and we're saying pretty much the same thing. It is um, a topic that if you want to make a difference, you've got to push hard. It's uncomfortable. Uh, but that's the only way to make a difference. If you're really looking at a cross-cultural respect across lines of, of ethnicity and race and, and other topics, Knowing the history, uh, certainly in the United States, um, it, it's one that, yeah, you have to push and, and work toward it. Yeah, your your um, 
recording this. I know that this is an audio podcast, but we're looking at my virtual background. I have an American flag back here because we it was the 4th of July and Black Lives Matter because of uh, the importance of this topic now that was a symbol back when Trayvon Martin was killed a few years ago, but now it's become a rallying cry uh, within the United States because Black Lives Matter. And some people will say, well, all lives matter or blue lives matter for the police department. And um, I'm going to pull up, see if I can very quickly pull up something that will explain this. It's not a matter of that. It's, It's a matter of understanding the seriousness of what's happening within the black community here in the United States and how we are being um, subjected to all kinds of uh, horrific things that are killing us. So there was a little girl who was protesting a couple of weeks ago and she had a poster board and she said, we said black lives matter, never said only black lives matter. We know all lives matter. We just need your help with Black Lives Matter because Black lives are in danger. And that's exactly what is taking place. The killings by police, by police vigilantes, by other individuals um, who have this deep-seated hatred of my people. I I go back uh, seven, six generations in this country. My roots are traceable back to the mid to late 1700s. I have a very active family reunion and we've done a lot of uh, archival tracing. We know the plantations where my family comes from and what has happened since that time. So I'm, you know, I'm a very proud African-American and my roots go back a long time. So, you know, when I hear the hatred and I see the the things that are taking place, it, it hurts my heart. It hurts all of us. And we want to get to the point where we can be very real and transparent about our situation at hand. Uh, with the history of slavery, which is very much a part of our conversation today, and how we can take that information and and peg out and stake out a way where we can, from a cross-cultural perspective, uh, live together in a respectful manner, uh, in a manner where everybody is respected, including those in the African-American community. Yeah, definitely. And I think more than ever this this seems to be prominent not just in america but around the world yeah. you know we've had we've had smaller movements like this before over the years because this isn't a new problem it's not mm-hmm. a new problem at all i think it's just become that that breaking point for a lot of people and, and understandably so yeah. and and that's had ripples outside of america you know we've had protests here in the uk where mm-hmm. you know don't get me wrong racism is alive and well in the uk as well but it, it's a very different system to in the US, I would say as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the fact that, you know, this is happening all around the world now, it's a much bigger issue and people seem to be ready to actually adopt change and fight for change as well, which is the important thing. Yeah. I mean, I I look at, uh, I was watching the protest in Bristol and the statue that was uh, the metal statue of the slaver, (coughs) slave, um, um, uh, gentleman who was involved in the slave trade <clears throat> back in the, I guess, the 1700s, who were his, his whole metal statue was ripped up and then rolled and thrown into the river. 
And, you know, that was just a reminder that, yeah, we're, we're all feeling some kind of pain, uh, pain that is visible with all of us. I remember 30 years ago, Callie, when I was working in Australia and speaking over there and uh, I wanted to go to the Aboriginal community um, in the area, the Redfern area of Sydney. <clears throat> and so I asked somebody, you know, how to get there, took a bus or a cab over there, just showed up in one of their health centers and was welcomed with in open arms and learned about their plight and how they had so much respect for our civil rights movement in the United States, but they deeply connected with the indigenous people in the U.S. We call them indigenous people, the Native Americans who are here. And that was a reminder of 30 plus years ago about the, the connection that people have to each other, whether you're in, in Australia, whether you're in Kenya, where I go, whether you're in, um, in England, Newcastle, uh, or in the case of Belgium, where they took Leopold II statue down. He was horrible. Talk about a horrible, horrible leader. What he did to the people of the Congo in Africa back in the 1800s is sinful, he, just sinful. And so, yeah, people all these years later are, re, are reacting to the sins that were done back in the 1800s and the 1700s, whether you're in Belgium or whether you're in the UK. Yeah, definitely. So I want to switch gears a little bit now. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about life as a membership site owner. So do you have a team helping you with the membership and the conference and things? Or is it mainly you? It's mainly me. And um, that's by choice. Um, I've, I've had with my business activities staff in the past, small staff, um, but by choice, because of technology and because of the virtual arrangements that can be had, um, I have um, taken advantage of that in terms of virtual assistance. I have with my conference series, a, a, a team of volunteers ready at the moment with my face-to-face -face conferences and my breakfast series. I've had 27 breakfasts, I believe, in 13 conferences. And so I have a core team of people here in the greater Boston area who support and help me with my activities. So with that, with um, outsourcing when I need to, I'm, um, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape uh, in terms of what I do. My um, daughter and son-in-law live here with me in my home. I have another daughter and son-in-law who live elsewhere with my grandchildren who I haven't seen in several months because of this COVID. Um, but my, my daughter helps out quite a bit. So she is um, very supportive of what I do and, and assists me in what I do. So I, I manage pretty well. And it's primarily because of technology. Awesome. And so what would you say are actually your main priority or tasks on a day-to-day -day basis then? Do you have a fixed routine or is it various depending on what you're working on? Oh, that's a great question. It varies. But now, again, because of where we are, it's interesting. I'm, I'm very busy in a different kind of way now than I was prior to COVID. Typically, with without COVID, I'd be out somewhere or it would be online, there would be this combination of face-to-face -face activities, meetings, events that I would be putting on, et cetera, and the online presence. Now everything is online, but it means that I have to schedule my time well 
in advance. I have the free tutorials that I continue to run with Zoom and because they're, they're popular and people all over the country will participate. I have client activities now that I'm running um, because of the, the race situation here and companies wanting to really get the information and, and um, work with me in terms of structuring forums. I'm running the forum tomorrow for a company. I'm running a conference next week for a company. So I'm very busy with those kind of activities. And then I have been um, introduced and invited to participate now with five, almost six, but five virtual town halls. Um, three dealing with the direct aftermath of George Floyd's death. So I've worked with uh, colleagues and people I know in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We've now had three virtual town halls that have been actually hosted by a church there, uh, St. Peter's African Methodist Episcopal Church. That's also my denomination, African Methodist Episcopal, that goes back to 1787, uh, connected with the Methodist Episcopal Church. We're an outgrowth of that. And so our sister church in Minneapolis hosted now three town halls that have been seen, you know, by several thousand people. And so we had leading experts in Minneapolis talking about the aftermath. We've had legislators as well. I moderated them and helped to co-produce them. Done the same thing for an organization here in Boston called New Democracy Coalition, uh, headed by the executive director is Kevin Peterson. I should say that Reverend John Robinson is the pastor of St. Peter's AME Church in Minneapolis. B uh, William Wells, Bill Wells is a member and also the former chair of the National Black MBA Association, of which I'm a part. So that's been my Minneapolis town hall experience. Here, Kevin Peterson and Jeff Durham, who runs the board's um, uh, on, on behind the scenes have had three, again, successful town halls talking about similar matters, COVID, the impact of the black community. So all this is sort of interrelated and um, have now have been seen by you know, more than 10, 15,000 people or so. So they've been successfully run through Zoom and then streamed live to Facebook. So um, that has been, um, those have been other activities for me. And then there've been, um, television programs. I've, I've been interviewed by the news and uh, by you <laughs> and, and others. So it, it, I've, I'm busy, um, busy with interconnected work that definitely deals with the membership site, uh, deals with my webinar series, and obviously now the ramp up of my conference, two-day conference that's being held. And so what I do, people will say, gosh, you're busy all the time. Well, yes, I'm busy, but it's all related to each other. So I may speak to my client tomorrow, the May Institute, they have 3000 employees and they have been a supporter of my business for many years. And they're, some of their members are my members of the uh, Multicultural Symposium series. So, so that kind of connection takes place. But then I may work with an organization that has no connection to me at all. And so I build up a relationship with them. So it, it is related work, relatable work that impacts indirectly or directly the membership um, site. Yeah. And I think even, even if you're not directly, say, promoting the membership, for want of a better word, at these events and things, it raises awareness of you and your authority and things like that, which 
in the long run, it all comes back to the membership essentially as well. So exactly. yeah, when you say it's interconnected, whilst they may not be activities that are directly working on the membership, mm-hmm. it does all connect and, and cause that reaction as well in the mm-hmm. long term. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So overall then, what impact would you say having the membership has had for your life and business so far? Oh, it's been a tremendous impact and one I'm very happy to have because it's provided a home for people to come who want to talk about these topics of multiculturalism, diversity, and inclusion. Again, my goal strategically has always been this continuous conversation and discussion point. Yes, I envision my membership site to be much larger with a larger base of Uh, members. I'm going to achieve that this year for obvious reasons because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I think because the conference is going to be virtual, um, that provides an opportunity for people around the world. I'll make a point to have speakers from outside of the U.S. to participate so that um, we can really put together a strong program and a platform that will be attractive for people to come and to be a part of, and they'll want to stay as well. So I'm excited about that. I really am. I know that it's going to take work and effort, but I think the base is there. I know that my brand and my reputation is strong, which is a, a good point. I've always protected that and want to continue to protect that. But now it's a matter of helping people to understand the value of the Multicultural Symposium Series and why they're needed and why it's a great place for them to, to hang out and be a part of. I think that virtual conference as well, whilst it's not necessarily what you would have wanted to do and it's kind of been forced, but you were mentioning earlier about wanting to attract that more international audience as well. And actually having that that virtual conference this year doesn't open that up to a huge amount more people than than previous years as well. So exactly. yeah, yeah, whilst it might not have been what you planned at the start of the year, I think there's actually a lot of positives for you um, in the approach as well. So true. So true. Yes. so is there anything if you were starting the membership again that you would do differently or anything that you wish you'd known earlier that's a great question I thought about that and I would say that I probably would have blogged more blogged more consistently provided more content and certainly gotten the online courses up and running earlier. Although I have to say that now is probably the time to do it. So earlier may have been another, maybe a year back or so, but definitely the writing, because I mean, writing is so powerful and it can be repurposed in so many different ways. And I have other sites that sort of feed into the members site. So my blogging goes to my main site, carolcopelandthomas.com. And then um, a sister site to the membership site is mssconnect.com. So those are the places where the blogging takes place. And I would say, would love to have had those ramped up more, more plentiful in terms of um, content. 
But that's me speaking. And, and you know, when I when when people visit my site, I'm actually revising my main site right now with the help of a wonderful young woman, Ayana Cooper. Coleman is her name, Ayana Coleman. <clears throat> and she's based in Tokyo. She's an African-American married to a German based in Tokyo. <laughs> but she's a marketing expert. And so we're working together. She's working with me just to repurpose and redesign principally the the front half of my website, which will go live soon. And um, so that that's exciting. But and so listening to her, I have a lot of respect for Ayana and others. You know, they say, oh, you got a lot of content on here. So maybe it's just me <laughs> thinking about, you know, I want more and more and more and not realizing for some people, oh, you know, it's <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And so actually I'd love to to just know with the with the membership as it is currently, if somebody joins as a member, so you've mentioned the monthly webinars, do you get kind of a essentially a library of those previous webinars? Do you also get the previous conference content? What does somebody actually get when they join? Absolutely. That's a great question. Yeah, you get access to the entire website, which includes past conferences. There are, there are whole video programs on with our past conferences, the, the photo galleries, hundreds of photos with our previous conferences and um, uh, also all of the webinars that are available. All of those would be available to someone who has access as a member. Right. Awesome. And so if with you mentioning about doing online courses in the future, would they be part of the membership or is that something you're looking to do separately or a combination? Oh, I've learned from you guys. No, it'll be part of the membership. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So, again, high value for a very affordable price. Uh, again, the whole con- the whole uh, purpose of that is to attract a much larger audience. So, yeah, the online courses will definitely be part of the membership uh, p- package. Awesome. And so my last question then, and you've, you've sort of already mentioned this, I think, as we've gone along, but I'd love to know what your goals are for the Multicultural Symposium series. What does the membership look like for you in a year's time, for say? At least a thousand members initially. Uh, um, a place where people can go and they can get truthful, factual information, not a lot of puff, um, credible courses, content. Um, the one thing I should mention, Callie, is that the writing I have done, I, I'm pretty meticulous about what I say and how I say things because I know how people read what I say. I mean, they they literally read what I say and they'll call me out <laughs> if something is inaccurate. So I have a tendency to provide a lot of background information, maybe some historical information or references, not from an academic perspective, but just information that can be used and passed on. So, um, you know, that's something I want to do more of. And I want this site to be almost like a university where you come and you can meet different people and you can take courses and you can learn and you can exchange information and you can and uh, talk and find and realize that, you know, what you're saying, your voice matters and other people's voices matter. And you can learn from a perspective that maybe you hadn't thought of before. In the, the, the U.S. is 5% of the world's population, just 5%. Yet our resources, what we demand and claim, claim are much, much larger than 5%. Unfortunately, Americans 
don't really know that much about other cultures. They're, they're certainly not history buffs in, in, in large part. I'm, I'm, I'm using generic terms. And so I look at my site as an opportunity from an American point of view to help teach Americans about what they don't know about themselves and what they don't know about other cultures outside of the U.S. And then I also look at people outside of the U.S. coming to MSSGlobalSummit.com and learning not just about the American perspectives, but perspectives that they may not have considered elsewhere. So um, a, a good part, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back on the road and traveling again. I love to travel because that feeds my content with my website, with the Multicultural Symposium series. So that's going to be you know, very important from 2021, 2022 going forward. Um, and I certainly have enough information and content now to ramp up and to beef up. But I really see this as being a content-rich marketplace for people to come feeling that they are at a credible place and a place where they can get great information, but then sharing that information with other people as a result of being members. Awesome. That sounds great. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how this does expand and grow for you over, over the next year, two years, because I think, yeah, it's definitely the time for, for this to really take off, I think, for you and, and for that change to, to really start becoming more commonplace. And I can't thank you and Mike enough again for starting the membership guys, you know, your free site and your academy. I'm not just flattering you, but I'm telling you something that I, I really feel. I mean, you, you've done what I like about the information that you have there is that it is substantial and not gimmicky. And your approach is substantial. I, I was at your conference last year, Retain, which I loved. I signed up early and I was so excited about being there. And I was amazed because you didn't spend one minute selling us anything. It was all about the content and the information. Not one minute. You gave away your book, which I just picked up <laughs> yesterday. Um, so, and just the, your approach with how you're looking at membership sites and how you're guiding us and giving us information, I think is, is an appropriate way to go. Um, as I mentioned earlier, certainly here in the U.S., there's a lot of crap out there. There's a lot of crap in my industry, in other industries, there um there are very slick salespeople out there that can lead you astray or you can give up a lot of money. And I'm very respectful and thankful that you're not in that in that space. Oh, well, thank you. That that really means a lot to hear. And yeah, we, we love having you as a member. And it's, it was awesome to see you at Retain last year and get to spend some time with you as well. So yeah, we really appreciate that. Thank you. And so... If somebody wants to find out more about you, see a little bit more of your information and things like that, where's the best place for them to do that? The membership site the uh, where you could go, again, a couple of pages of free and you can learn about us is mssglobalsummit.com. It's mssglobalsummit.com. My website is Carol and that's Carol with an E, copelandthomas.com. And then a companion site is mssconnect.com. So three different sites sort of interrelated. 
Awesome. I'll put the links to all of those below the interview as well to make it really easy for people too. And so, yeah, all I want to say is just thank you so much for joining me today, Carol. It's been great talking with you. Lots of great information there. And as I said before, I'm really looking forward to, to watching your membership continue to grow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Callie. That's all for another episode, folks. Thank you for listening and thank you again to Carol for sharing her experience. If you'd like to see more of Carol's work or to join her membership if you're looking to improve your own company's diversity, then head to mssglobalsummit.com or head to themembershipguys.com slash btm37 to find the links to Carol's various different sites as well as to pick up the transcript and show notes for this episode. One of the things I particularly love about Carol is how she is always looking for new ways to support her audience and bring value, especially in the current climate. So while she is busier than ever right now, she's still looking at how she can make her membership better and more valuable with the addition of new features like courses. What did you find interesting about this episode? Let me know your takeaways over at talkmemberships.com. And I'll see you again next week for another episode of Behind the Membership. Behind the Membership